Hello, welcome to Strange Love of Movies. My name is Olivia Martinez and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Oscar and Emily Martinez. And this is our fifth episode of the Baz Luhrmann series. And we're gonna be talking about one of our favorite movies and favorite stories of all time, The Great Gatsby. This movie changed my life. We saw this in theaters in 2012. I was 11 or 12 and I remember being just amazed by the film. It was my first Baz Luhrmann film, I assume, right? Maybe I had seen... You might have seen Moulin Rouge before that. Yeah, maybe so, but I don't. I hadn't seen one in the theater, that's for sure. And it was quite the spectacle, quite the experience. And then I remember dad, you buying for me on my, I think iPod Touch or my iPad, the Great Gatsby soundtrack, which was the first purchase we made on iTunes for me personally to listen to. So that was crazy too. That really changed a lot of how I listen to music and who I listened to. I think it informed me a lot. And there are some good tunes in this movie, which we will talk to about, I'm sure. But overall, this is just a really important movie to me. Was it the explicit version? Because I didn't realize they had such foul language and such songs yeah, these days. Yeah, I remember it was the explicit version. So all the explicit songs you had like undownloaded. So I didn't hear any of those until a few years ago, I would say. I'm not even kidding. Maybe I'd heard them in the movie, but that was it. And this is certainly not a musical, and yet, just like the other Baz Luhrmann films, some of which are really kind of musicals, the the soundtrack and the music plays a huge role in the in the whole movie experience and telling the story. And I think it's important to start off with saying that I think the music's a good segue into this because this book, if you have not heard of a little author named F. Scott Fitzgerald, he wrote a book called The Great Gatsby about the roaring 20s in the 20s. And it was just, it was a sensation, correct? Yes, it's considered uh, the great American novel in a lot of ways, because it's not that long. And it tells a story about a specific time and place. And it's truly American. That's probably the best way to describe it. And that that couldn't have existed anywhere else. And I think that that need the theme of reinvention and be who you want to be. And also how the American dream doesn't always end in a happy way. Yeah, I think that all the themes are still really prevalent. And what Baz Luhrmann decided to do with this film, much like Romeo and Juliet, which is our episode two of the Baz Luhrmann series, which we already posted, go listen to that. Uh, But Baz Luhrmann, he decided that the Roaring Twenties were an age of, you know, change and just kind of, modernity I guess at the time now we're like oh those are old farts but back then it was like the age of the flapper jazz all that stuff so he decided instead of putting in you know a bunch of jazz songs and stuff like that he was going to put in the modern day jazz which most consider to be hip-hop and rap so you know Jay-Z, Frank Ocean, Kanye there's a lot of just modern music and that's why I think that it's so interesting that he did that. And honestly, I think F. Scott Fitzgerald would have approved. I think it's nothing, nowhere near what his vision was for this story, but I think he would have liked that he did something different with it. Yeah, it's a lot like Moulin Rouge in that respect, where there was modern music that captured the zeitgeist, the fancy word for the, the, the time of the, the, the times that were, were being had at the time. Wait, I use time <laughs> a lot. Uh, anyway, but it, this, uh, this idea that it captured the spirit, the spirit of the age and, and the, the dynamic quality. Back then in Moulin Rouge, it was at the turn of the century, 1899, 1900. This is 20 years later. And it was just exciting. Uh, there was you know, prohibition, which was the banning of all alcohol. So uh, there were a lot of bootleggers and a lot of excitement and a lot of illicit things going on. And, and the music is so important because a little party never killed nobody, right? There are certain parts in the film where you, you can almost designate them as 
Okay, this is this comes on after this song, or you know, the young yeah, and beautiful, young scene. and beautiful, Lana Del Rey, great. You know, it's just there's there, there are just some good things that are just etched in your memory that he only he's one of the few directors who can do that who uses music so expertly. And I think that this movie, like his other best movies, has I'd say sort of a chaotic spirit. So chaotic, or at least certain scenes did. I mean, it certainly was went by the book and was you know the narrative was pretty straightforward, but it just breaks in with some very Baz Luhrmann type just antics or, or wackiness that still stays true to the story and to the to the idea of what the characters are all about. Yeah, that is so true. And I mean, a lot of people complained about this movie because they were like, it's not the spirit of how Gatsby was written and all that. And that is true. You know, it's a very classy book, in my opinion, and it's not very flashy or anything like this. But I think that it's a great visually pleasing way to do it, you know? Nick is a very, we'll, we'll talk about Nick. He's a very different character in this than he is in the actual book, I would say. But in this, he's a total buffoon and is amazed by all this extravagance. But in the book, you know, they kind of emphasize more how Nick did come from a lot of money from the, a Midwestern family. And he was Yale educated and all this. So he was not as amazed. But in this, we got Tobey Maguire just like, doe-eyed looking around all goofily at all times and it's like oh my gosh he's a good character in the sense that he's kind of a go-between there's Gatsby who is a completely self-made man and loves to show off um, with intention but then there's also then Daisy and her family um, her husband and family who are old money and even though they're off the rails too they're more, I guess, quiet in their lifestyle, in a sense. Whereas I, Nick kind of comes in between. He's from money, but he's not used to actually enjoying the money. And so you can tell that at least at first, he really enjoys the idea that Gatsby has earned all this money is actually, and is actually enjoying the experience of, of feeling accomplished. That's really true, but I don't know if I could read all that from Tobey Maguire's performance. You know, I think you're right. That's what they wanted to capture, but I have some bones to pick with the casting of Tobey Maguire. And just like in The Real Great Gatsby, we're not 30 minutes into this podcast, but 30 minutes into the film is when Gatsby is finally revealed. And who plays Gatsby? Dad, want to do the honors? Yes, a little-known actor known as Leonardo DiCaprio, and this is reuniting the actor with his director from Romeo and Juliet from 1996. And this came out in 2013, so here we are nearly 20 years later. And so they must have gotten along pretty well because it's a classic story told in in the classic Baz Luhrmann kind of way. So dynamic, very Moulin Rouge-y. Kind of, there's some elements there, but the, the jazz age was amazing time to be alive. And it's up there on the screen. I bet you a lot of people thought, that, 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 isn't that one of the things, Em, that a lot of people are asked, what age would you want to grow up in? And it's almost always the jazz age because it looks like so much fun. Right? Yeah, yes. but then you get to go to the Great Depression and World War II, but that's exactly. all right. And you may have survived World War I. So. And the Spanish flu, if you got over that too. Other so. than that, it's a great time to be alive. If you hear any footsteps or panting, that is our pup Spartacus Rex. You can probably hear him now. Go ahead, Sparky. Of course, the only time he's quiet. Anyway, back to Gatsby. So Leo DiCaprio, yes, he is the great Gatsby, Jay Gatsby, and he is just the perfect Gatsby. I cannot imagine 
anyone else playing that role. Didn't Robert Redford play it at one point? And who else has played him? I don't know. That's the only other movie of Gatsby I've seen. And and he did a good job. I mean, Robert Redford did a good job. But it was another like BBC version in 2005. It was a, a dark-haired fella. I don't remember who he was, but he was fine. He was okay, but... I think just the idea of this like blonde, all-American-looking guy with that smile and that demeanor, it was just a perfect casting. And I think that Daisy, played by Carrie Mulligan, is also really good casting, even though I have never been the biggest fan of Carrie Mulligan. I think that she does a great job in this film, and she is a really good actress. I just have never been as drawn to her as some people are. And I think that what she does as Daisy, though, is just brilliant because she is so annoying i don't know why gatsby likes her and she's like that in the book too but she just does a good job of playing kind of dumb she's kind of you know a coward right 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 i mean she's not at all mean spirited Mm -hmm. or manipulative really and she's not intentionally manipulative but she is i think she kind of represents her class she's just all about herself and her needs and not really thinking of the world at large because she doesn't have to. Um, on the other hand, she is treated badly, as it turns out, by her husband, who is played by Joel Edgerton, and he does a great he job. Was he, does a he was amazing. He was really, too. really good. It's a very good villain. And shout out to my friend Matthew Gay, who's a friend of this podcast. He was on a few episodes back in the day, and we need to record another one sometime. But he also played Tom in like a version that I saw and it was he was so good because Tom is a hard role to play because he's so he's a complicated guy because he is not a morally good person at all you know he's having an affair with what's her name Myrtle yeah Isla and Isla Fisher or Isla Fisher or whatever and so yeah he's having this affair yet he's also wanting to maintain this perfect image because he comes from a crazy amount of money and he's also a Yale grad. I think that he and Nick were friends um, at school. Or not really friends, but acquaintances. So that's... I think Nick actually is Daisy's cousin, Yes, but he knew Tom at some point. That's right. But yeah, Tom is just struggling with all these things, has so many vices, all this, but he just wants to maintain this perfect image and he thinks Daisy is this perfect girl. And I think in a way he does love her, right? I think he does, yeah. And I think he... He has a certain amount of pressure on him because in a way he's had all the advantages. He's the opposite of Gatsby in a lot of ways. From the beginning, he had all the advantages and he went to the right schools and came from the right family and was was a polo star and all this. So it's hard to feel sorry for somebody like that. On the other hand, you feel like he has a certain amount of pressure to keep up with all the requirements of somebody of his status. Exactly. And someone we haven't even mentioned yet, Miss Jordan Baker, played by Elizabeth Debicki, who is just a light. She's just beautiful in this. However, she towers over my man, Tobey Maguire. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. But I think that it works well in this movie because she is this pro golfer, you know? And Jordan's like, I think uh, Nick at one point says she's the most intimidating creature I've ever seen or something because she's just this domineering, beautiful person who is classy and funny and just the best. And I mean, Jordan's character is not nearly as well-developed in the film as she is in the book, but in the film, she wears, I would say, the best costumes. She has the best styling. She looks the best. 
And she's probably having the best time of any of them because nothing really affects her when it comes right down to it, right? It all makes sense. It all makes sense. And she also is sort of the counterpart to Nick. I mean, she's also an observer and a friend to pretty much everybody involved in the action. And yet she really keeps her distance and stays out of trouble and just is a witness. Yeah, and that was uh, different from the book, too, because, again, Nick was... Uh, you weren't saying Nick and this is kind of weird, but he is. He's kind of small town, you know. Yeah, he's like, oh... Well, but in this in- one, yeah, he had a relationship with her. He was her boyfriend, essentially. Not that they would double date or anything, but <laughs> he was a little bit more worldly than, than they played him in this in this show, which I don't know what that's for what, for what that's worth. It's just kind of different from, from the book. Well, and I guess my only complaint with the casting is that Tobey Maguire is, I think pretty um not very tall and she is much taller than the average woman i don't know that that's very realistic yeah it's not and i think that what's so unfair is if one of those two would have been cut it would have been her because she's too tall it's like hey how about toby how about you grow a little and the only reason i'm being so mean about toby mcguire is because i mean everyone's seen the paparazzi videos but he's notoriously like one of the worst people in hollywood and according to the paparazzi videos and, at least and according to just so many sources like people just do not like working with this guy so that's the only reason i'm hating on him so much but he does a fine job in this but we were actually discussing after the film who would have played a better nick and i think that i mean we have a lot of options what did we say can't remember any of them now of course well and it's not really the most desirable part i mean it, it's it, the most important it, part though yeah well in some ways but i mean it's, he's definitely background he is really just the narrator so you can imagine a lot of actors kind of rolling their eyes at the idea of playing nick maybe but he gets more lines than gatsby and he's the core of this film i think that fake gyllenhaal would have been pretty good in this role but he may be a little too good looking. Maybe someone like Joseph Gordon Love. But the real fake Gyllenhaal, so you can call him Jake. Jake Gyllenhaal, yeah. yes. That's an inside joke that I can't even tell you how long ago that stems from. But who else would have been good in this role? Chris Hemsworth? No, 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 no. <laughs> well, I'll let y'all think about that. But one thing to get back to is just, I think in the book and also in the Robert Redford, Mia Farrow played her in that movie the, from the 70s. But in both those cases, Jordan Baker was always more, was prettier. Glamorous too. More glamorous. And I think that's completely intentional. And you wonder why he was head over heels for Daisy. And he just was. He loved her because he had met her many years before. And so as much as anything, he's trying to capture something that happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I think that Daisy comes across as very innocent and very vulnerable. And men are drawn to her because I think they have that protective instinct, whether it's Gatsby or her husband. I think both of them probably, in their own way, want to shield her from any unpleasantness. And that's probably part of why she is such a weak person. She's just always been She's always been protected and sheltered, yeah. And I also think that Daisy represents something that Gatsby aspired to be. He aspired to be someone that Daisy would have um, wanted to go out with even if he wasn't a man in uniform. You know what I mean? Because the first time they met, Gatsby was just one in a million um, soldiers, but they were all wearing those uniforms, so they were all the exact same amount of distinguished, all the exact same amount of wealthy and all that. So I think that he realized he wanted to be the kind of person that Daisy would run with. 
Okay, and I've been thinking, I literally just looked up actors, which is <laughs> not the best way to do it. But I think that um, James McAvoy would possibly be good. Mm -hmm. A little too Scottish, or is he Irish? Yeah, he's Scottish. Okay. Yeah, yeah he, Michael Fassbender would have been pretty good. Mm. He's too... He's too Tom-like, more too, yeah. macho. Oh, yeah, maybe so. so. How do we feel about Christian Bale? I mean, obviously too old, but... No, I think Christian Bale would Yeah, he would have been good. He would have been really good. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. I'm just... Um, I think that... Uh, I don't... It's a hard role because, yeah, it is kind of a blending in role, but you have to be so... I don't know. Toby McGuire just doesn't do it for any of us, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and the other thing to keep in mind, if you're wondering, if you haven't read the book, haven't seen the movie... It's a classic American tale, rags to riches kind of thing. Uh, there's an air of mystery, but there's a line in there which, which, which reveals everything. And then, remember, you crushed my world when you said it wasn't in the book. I kept telling you it's the best line in the book. It's not even in there. And the line is... Rich girls don't marry poor boys. Exactly. And that was... This is a weird little segue, but Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola, great director from Godfather, he wrote... The, the Robert Redford version, and he wrote that. That was his really? screenplay. So that's his line that they used in this one, you know, so, and they probably thought it was from the book, you know, because it's, it's perfect, because it's like, it's one line, and it explains why he needed money to win her. And some he, random guy says it. It's like Jordan's date yes. to one of Gatsby's extravagant parties. That's yeah. it. Yeah, it's so, it's so bizarre how that happens. Just a little off-the-cuff comment, but it, it speaks volumes. Definitely. So we have probably gone on already far too long, but we really enjoy this film and probably have seen it, what, five, ten times? Ten. Ten, twelve times, something like that. It's just a comfort watch for all of us. The first half especially, we've talked about this before, but in Romeo and Juliet and in Moulin Rouge, the first half is just fire, and then it cools down a little bit. But, you know, on this rewatch, the second half, I mean... I think I just cringe so much at the plaza scene. It's no one's fault. It's the writing. It's no, like, literally, it's needed in the movie, but it's just so awkward. It makes me uncomfortable. Everyone's so sweaty, and everyone's fighting and drunk, and it's just awkward. So I'd rather the first few scenes of the razzle-dazzle parties, Gatsby getting introduced at 29 minutes and, like, 48 seconds. Why didn't you do 30 minutes, Baz? Come on. Thank you. I, I know that scene when they're fighting, and it that's some really good acting by everybody in that yes. room. And even... We're ragging on Toby Maguire, but Nick and Jordan are in there. They don't say a word. They're just looking. They're observers, and the fight is between Daisy, Daisy's husband, and Gatsby, and he loses control. Here's a guy who has every hair in place, and he was really good in that. In that. And I think that that yeah, because there's such. I mean, they've all been drinking, and it's hot and uncomfortable. He's and wearing a pink suit. Finally, Gatsby is trying to push Daisy and confront. Tom and it's just it's such a messy scene and I think the fact that Tom kind of maintains his composure and Gatsby loses it shows a couple of things first of all Gatsby has the passion for Daisy um, that Tom doesn't but also Tom has been prepared for that life and Gatsby hasn't very true. I, mean, I think it's sort of like, I, I think it kind of highlights the idea that Gatsby is trying to live a life that's not, that doesn't come naturally to him. And this is a moment when he cracks. Yeah. And you just don't tell another man, a husband of 
your lover or the woman you want that she doesn't love you. That's just, I could have advised, I could Get have told him that. Like, come on, Get Gatsby. Get over it, Gatsby. That she was, loves you now. Was, a gentleman wouldn't have done that, you know. But anyway, so do we have favorite scenes? Of course we do. Can we narrow it down to one? I mean, we can each do one, I would say. And it'll, I mean, there still are a lot more. I would say my favorite scene besides the a little party never killed no that whole party scene in Gatsby's introduction is actually right after the party because Florence Welch from Florence and the Machine is on the piano and she is singing um ever since I was a child um this song called over the love which is like one still one of my favorite songs I love that song and I think that is so eye-opening for Nick because he sees how after the party everyone just leaves you know no one's cleaning up you know the staff is having to clean up and it's just like kind of depressing once the whole crowd leaves these par- this party. And then when you find out the reason that Gatsby's throwing all these parties, you're like, oh yeah, that's pretty depressing. So I think it's just like really insightful scene and I think it's underappreciated. So yeah. And my favorite scene, even though you've already alluded to it, is the party scene. Well, there's several parties, but that first party where you haven't really been introduced to Gatsby yet, but you hear about Gatsby and it's just like he's an exciting rumor and you see the the beauty and extravagance of his house and his lifestyle and um, it's just fun because you know that um, something exciting is about to happen. It is a lot of fun. My favorite scene is between Nick and Gatsby when Gatsby's telling him how they met. It's kind of a little bit of the rewrite explaining that when he was a soldier stationed in Alabama, just like the real F. Scott who met Zelda and all that. Weren't they in Kentucky? Well, whatever. Somewhere. Somewhere. Louisville. Somewhere in the South. Anyway, um, he's going on and on and on and and he's saying, oh, and she'll be my wife again soon, soon enough. And and, and Nick tells him, uh, you can't repeat the past. And there's a pause. And they have the close-up of Leo as Gatsby, and he's like, can't repeat the past. Can't repeat the past. So, sure you can. Of course you can, right? And that's so great, because it's like, in, in his mind, yeah, it was, and it had only been five years. It wasn't like it was 10 or 15 or 20, you know? He was still young and beautiful kind of thing, and it was already too late, you know? And yet, Nick, even for how dopey he was, he recognized you just can't go back in time and change things, you know, or things that happened in the past mm-hmm. have their effect on the future. And just, that's all you can do. You and know? speaking of young and beautiful, I'm surprised none of us said the young and beautiful scene because that is also my favorite scene of the film. I actually didn't say it because I thought that dad would take it. But, you know, the scene where Daisy first is introduced to Gatsby's mansion after the tea party that starts off really badly, but it goes well. And they're just exploring this beautiful mansion of Gatsby's, you know, making orange juice. And they're jumping into the probably freezing water because they're in the Hamptons, which is right outside of New York City. And they're just having the time of their lives. And you know it's going to end. And it does because Daisy starts crying after, because she's weak. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) She starts crying because... Gatsby's throwing all these shirts and it's just ridiculous. And now I love that scene where he's throwing the shirts and she's laughing. Yeah, that is my favorite scene too. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess that's our favorite scene then and none of us said it at first. So there we go. Young and beautiful scene. Let's get a ratings because we've been talking about this movie far too long, even though I know we could keep going forever. I want to do, hmm, how many green lights would we give it? Hmm, Yes. I will give this film five green lights because I know it's not perfect, but it's perfect in my eyes, enjoyability-wise and just aesthetically-wise. I think it's so much fun. And I also love how everyone I know really likes this movie. I know it wasn't the critical darling that it probably should have been, but, you know, 
just the normal person likes this movie. I was talking to some people at work about going to see Elvis, which will be our next episode. Look forward to that. And I was just talking about that and they were like, oh yeah, that director's awesome. Didn't he do The Great Gatsby? And these are people who are not, they would say I'm not a movie person or I don't see that many movies, but everyone likes The Great Gatsby because a lot of people watch this movie instead of reading the book in high school, right? Yeah, I think Sorry, so. Sorry, Miss McNally. I read the book, I promise. <laughs> But I think that a lot of people don't, and they, I mean, they get a lot from this movie. And the fact is, it's a rather long movie, and it's a pretty short book, so little, little irony there. Yeah, that's actually so true. So I give it five green lights. I, too, give it five green lights, because tragedy, uh, Baz Luhrmann works well with tragedy. I mean, Romeo and Juliet was, you know, kind of know how it ends, and it's not happy, and it was a triumph. Gatsby, even, he has his moments, but you know how it ends, and... Another triumph for him. It was just very well done and very... And you're right, Lev, about watching it in depth and watching, focusing on the second half more because, yeah, we, whenever we had a chance, we'd watch a lot of it and we'd always kind of stop at some point and go off and do other things. But this time we focused on the second half and it was powerful. It was really strong and, and depressing as heck. <laughs> There's no question about it. It's not as much fun, but vital to the story and, and the most important part of the story because it was real life and realistic and... You know, told the backstory, but it told what was going to happen. And it was, it was just a, an American tragedy, right? Well, I think that Baz Luhrmann really does find beauty in tragedy. And I guess that's kind of a cliche. But just like at the end of his Romeo and Juliet, I didn't feel like crying. Um, and also at the end of Moulin Rouge, I mean, it ends in a sad way, but you really almost feel energized. And I think with the Great Gatsby, certainly, I think you're very sad, and there's a part of it that is sort of like the ultimate American tragedy. But I don't know. I don't, I think somehow he does, he finds enough beauty in it, and I think he elevates the love that leads to the tragedy, and therefore it makes you, I don't know, it's, it's, comforting in a strange sort of way maybe i'm the only person who feels that way no i I know what you mean it's sort of it's sort of like reading the book once every used to be once every five years now it's once every 10 years and you get to be a certain age you come at it at different parts of your life and it was like this too when i first read i was like oh i was so sad and that mean tom and that you know why didn't they get together but now, you know, it wouldn't have worked out if they had become a but couple, see, you know. But the, see, that's kind of the difference. I mean, I think that, I think the book is, it's, it's such a great book, but I do think it's depressing. I mean, at the end of that, you are kind of thinking, oh my gosh, what does this say about the world and the chance for happiness and chance for really making your way? But the movie didn't leave me with that feeling. Oh, and I so I guess, I guess my point is that somehow Baz Luhrmann takes it to a level that I don't know you just kind of feel the the happiness and the joy enough that when the real tragedy hits you're still kind of reverberating with that with that lovey-dovey feeling I don't (laughs) know maybe that's a silly analysis but and on that note how many green lights would you give it Um, I think I'd give it five too nice so we have a unanimous five on the great Gatsby I think we've had a a few unanimous fives on this Baz Luhrmann series. So good for Baz. Next week, we're going to be talking about the new film and the reason for the series, Elvis. So I hope you guys see that film in theaters before we review it. I'm sure you will have by then because this movie is already extremely popular. 
But follow us on Instagram at strangeloveofmedia and visit our website, strangelovemovies.com. And just a little preview, uh, talk about reinvention. It's all about, you know, the birth of rock and roll and Elvis Presley and his many incarnations and all that, all themes. And yeah, a little bit of tragedy in there too, but uh, he, he was uh, another great story worthy of his storytelling talents. And, and we look forward to telling you all about it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Oh, and we didn't even comment on the costumes, but <sighs> as always, Catherine Martin, Catherine Martin does a wonderful job. Oh my gosh, the props, the sets, the costumes, cinematography, it's all brilliantly and done. And it really does look like a fantasy. I mean, it, it's really fantastical, his house, and it just like, it's too good to be true. And I think that's the whole idea. And the amount of extras in this movie. Well, we said that before. What was it, 12 minutes of uh, credits? Yeah. All the people involved in this film. And then the box office, it was probably his biggest one, wasn't it? Because it made like $350 million And it cost so much. They didn't even say how much it cost, but it was close to $200 million. They said by the end of it, it may have only made $50 million. But like you said before, I mean, he, all his money, it's on the screen. It's like sometimes you see these movies, it's like, where where'd they spend the money? Well, you know where they spent the money here. It's all with intent, and it's all creating this fantastic world of, you know... <laughs> earthly delights or whatever but it's pretty amazing that he can do that and this is the kind of movie that had to be expensive i mean everything about it had to be top drawer as tom might say and i think it is more fun for filmmakers to make movies about these extravagantly rich people just because you can get that huge budget if you're a good enough filmmaker and you can you know the life of luxury that none of us have I mean, it's just not real, but it's so fun to imagine. So I think that this was a fun movie for everyone involved to make, and it was a fun movie for us to watch. So on that note, so we beat on Boats Against the Current, born back ceaselessly into the past. Bye, guys. Well said. Oh, thank you. I just came up with it myself. <laughs>